you have your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Genesis. I think I need my glasses. No, it's okay. Oh, here they are. Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 41 and verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, but growing on one stalk, and behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offences today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody, in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about, I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favourable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor, very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. When they'd eaten them, no one would have known that they'd eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. And then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears, grown on one stalk, full and good, and seven ears, Withered, thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years, and the dreams are one. 
the seven lean, lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty years blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land, and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather, gather all the food of these good years that are coming, and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. This is Genesis 41. We've been working our way through the book of Genesis and we've been walking through the progress of God's plan in the life of Joseph. And ever since the end of Genesis 37, we've seen Joseph in an almost unchecked freefall down into the pit, into the miry clay, where standing there is none, the psalmist said. And Joseph continues to fall from a difficult family situation, where he was the favourite of his father. He lost his mother at a young age. He was estranged from his brothers. His brothers plotted against him to kill him. They eventually just sold him into slavery. And he winds up in Egypt. And indeed, he seemed to have a small turn in fortune as he went into the household of the chief official of Pharaoh. And he performed well. He was honoured by his master. And then his master's wife had designs on him. And even though he scrupulously protected his own honour, he was falsely accused of having made unwanted sexual advances on his master's wife and he ends up in prison a royal prison in Egypt forgotten with no hope with no hope of parole and the only check that there seemed to be on this bad fortune that he's experiencing is that God has appointed that he's not on death row awaiting execution so somehow he languishes in this prison without being prepared for the death squad. And in the meantime, he's serving two Egyptian officials who themselves were thrown into prison because of their own crimes. And they and these two reported dreams that they had had. And since there were no Egyptian magicians available in the dungeon to interpret their dreams, as was the way of the Egyptians, the, the Egyptian magicians, the court magicians, had two functions. They did magic spells and incantations that were supposed to help the living and the dead and thwart the gods of death and such. But they also had this function of interpreting dreams. And we made an 
interesting observation last time that in the history of Israel, only two Israelites were told and interpreted dreams. And both served rulers in foreign courts. Joseph was one, Daniel was the other. So God, in his grace and in his mercy and in his concern for Joseph and his own glory, gives Joseph the power to interpret these dreams. And he hopes that the cupbearer would go, when, you know, when he went back to serve Pharaoh, that he would remember him. But we're told he forgot him. He forgot him. And then two more years passed, and surely Joseph is questioning the truth. And the truth is God will never forsake in need the soul that trusts in him. The hymn that says that. And right in that moment, having been forgotten, as it were, for two years, Joseph is going to learn the truth. That it's easy to the God we know to raise up, though low thou liest, to make the rich man poor and low. And so we see the hand of God's providence. And in the passage that we read, we see the prospering providence of God beginning to break forth for Joseph. And in a way, that brings glory to God and humbles the nations before him. You know, sometimes, you know, I think that we need to be reminded of this often, that God is in control. We look out there and we wonder, oh my goodness, but there is nothing, there is absolutely nothing or no one that can stand against God. And in, and in this way, God begins to show Joseph why some of the things have been happening to him in the course of God's plan. So notice the motion of the change of God's providence in these five sections of this passage. So in the first eight verses, if you just run your eyes over that, we see Pharaoh stumped. No mention of Joseph, but we're already, we're already suspicious of how he might play a part, having seen him interpret dreams in the chapter before. And then in verses 9 to 14, Joseph is remembered for the first time, having been forgotten for two years by the cupbearer, and for a time before by his master. Joseph is remembered. And then in verses 15 to 24, we have Joseph the convict, the criminal, standing before the Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, the Lord of Egypt, who's pouring out his heart to him because he's perplexed. And then in verses 25 to 28, we see Joseph prophesying, explaining to the Lord of Egypt what God is going to do. And then in verses 29 to 37, we see Joseph's wisdom and discernment apparent from convict and criminal imprisoned in the royal dungeon, he's suddenly taken to the position of advising the Pharaoh of Egypt. And he does so with no self-consciousness. He, he chats to Pharaoh as though he'd been advising him since the first day of his rule. So we see God's plan in Joseph's life take a tremendous turn in Genesis 41. Let's just walk through the passage. First of all, let's look at those eight, first eight verses. The God of Joseph knows and reveals the future. And Moses is painting what Moses thinks is an amusing picture. And the picture is the ruler of Egypt is stumped as to the meaning of two dreams and as to the future. Well, why is that amusing? Why does that tickle Moses' sense of humour? 
Because the pharaohs of Moses' day were considered to be gods. And the pharaohs were worshipped by their people. So Moses is amused for two reasons. First of all, the concept of a god that doesn't know the future isn't really much of a god. And he's amused of the concept of a god who needs a magician to tell him what the future is. So you can see actually Moses' sense of humour is actually quite good. And he's amused by the fact that the magicians themselves aren't able to interpret the dreams. So Moses is putting a picture before us of the God of the world at the time. Pharaoh, Egypt, stumped. He hasn't got a clue what's going to happen in his own land, the land over which he reigns. So Moses, and we should be reminded of this today, the weakness of the gods of the age and the weakness of the gods of the world and he's going to contrast Pharaoh with himself, the God of Joseph, who knows and reveals the future. We trust in God, who alone knows the future. And that's the, the key verse is verse 8. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. And we hear the story of Daniel and Darius echoed in this story. His spirit was troubled and he called for the magicians of Egypt... And all the wise men and Pharaoh told them his dreams and there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Just that there was no one in the dungeon who could explain the dream to the cupbearer and the chief baker. There was no magician who was able to explain those dreams to Pharaoh. So the God of Egypt is shown to be impotent in understanding the providence of God. What is God doing? He's showing you that one of his purposes in Joseph's life is to bring glory to his name and he's going to do it through his servant Joseph. But he's going to do it by humbling the proud even as he exalts the humble. Secondly, verses 9 to 14, God's providential plan for Joseph makes sense. And if you look at verses 9 to 14, you see the story of the chief cupbearer. In the midst of this crisis, everyone is running around like headless chickens, running to and fro in the court. No one has an answer for Pharaoh. You can picture it. You know, Pharaoh's losing his marbles. Everyone else is running around. And the chief cupbearer puts up his hand. He puts up his hand. And he said, you may not remember, but a couple of years ago I was in prison. And I was in prison because a number of your servants displeased you. And we were all thrown into prison. And I was sent to this prison because I was the cupbearer. And while I was in that royal prison, I had a dream, and so did my mate, the baker. And then there, there was this Hebrew, young Hebrew there, and he was able to interpret the dreams. Didn't go real well for the baker, but it went okay for me. And even though that there were no magicians that we could go to. And perhaps since your magicians can't interpret this, Maybe that man's still in prison, which is controlled by the captain of your bodyguard. Maybe we could bring him out. Maybe he could help us here. Because he was able to interpret everything for us, and everything he said came true. You freed me, and you chopped the head off the baker. And he told us that three days before. So Pharaoh wastes no time. And the key verse again is verse 12. 
A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. So finally, Joseph is remembered and God's providential plan for Joseph is beginning to take shape. We wondered why God might not have brought relief to Joseph after his favourable interpretation of the dream of the cupbearer. Why not? Why not? Why did, why did the cupbearer forget? Perhaps we were hoping or expecting the cupbearer would go back to Pharaoh's court and argue on behalf of Joseph and get him out of prison. But I want you to see this. God appointed Joseph for such a time as this. For such a time as this. It was important that it was now. Now, Joseph didn't, didn't, he didn't know that at the time. My friend, my, my family would tell you, my life verse is, for such a time as this, from Esther. For such a time as this. Are you willing to be in God's hands for God to use you for such a time as this? So God's providential plan is beginning to unfold. And thirdly, the God of Joseph is the revealer of the future. Verses 15 to 24. You see, Joseph is brought before Pharaoh. And let me just mention in passing, there are a number of things in this passage that shows us that the writer completely understood Egyptian culture. Completely understood Egyptian culture. You see verse 2. They came up out of the Nile, seven cows, and they fed in the reed grass. And Egyptian cows grazed submerged in the Nile to protect themselves from the flies and the insects and the heat. So just this little verse tells us the, the authenticity of the recording. They came up out of the Nile to graze in the marsh grass. And it's just one example of many cultural phenomena that the author of the passage understands. It's somebody who knew something about Egypt. Maybe someone who'd lived there for 40 years. There's another thing in the passage, verse 14. Fascinating little bit. And for people who wet shave like I do, it's, it's, it was very encouraging. Then Pharaoh sent Joseph and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he'd shaved himself, shavings in the Bible, and changed his clothes with a razor, and he came before Pharaoh. So if you're writing a narrative about the providence of God, would you, would you remember to insert that the guy shaved before he went to see Pharaoh? Probably not. But the reason you do not know, whereas the Semites in Canaan wore beards, the Egyptians did not. And they, the, the Egyptians liked clean-shaven men, so much so that the men often shaved their heads. They'd have fitted right in today, wouldn't they? You know, you know, they, you know sort of they shaved their face, they shaved their heads. Or maybe not shaved their face, anyway. Um, but Moses knew the practice of the Egyptians. So he paused to say and know that he shaved before he went into Pharaoh. Why? To show decorum and etiquette to Pharaoh. At any rate, after this happens, we see in verses 15 to 24, Pharaoh relating his dream to Joseph. And we see God display that the God of Joseph is the revealer of the future. 
There's several key verses here. Verse 15, and then verse 24, and then compare them to verse 16. In verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And then verse 24, I told it to the magicians. There was no one who could explain it to me. So you have the God of Egypt, Pharaoh, standing with a condemned Hebrew slave, a convict, a criminal, saying, I'm totally perplexed and none of my magicians can help me. Can you help me? And then this is the answer that comes out of the mouth of the criminal. It is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favourable answer. God is the revealer of the future. Not your magicians. Not me. Not your books that interpret dreams. But God. God is the revealer of the future. And Joseph, for the second time in two chapters puts on the mantle of a prophet and is going to reveal the future. Not because he has an innate power to know the interpretation of dreams, but because God himself revealed it to him, that he might reveal it to Pharaoh, that he might show that he is the God who knows and holds the future. My friend, we don't know the future. We don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know which players my team will buy. But what I do know is the God who knows the future. We don't know the future, but we know the one who does. So we see God laying the groundwork for his own exaltation, even in the midst of the land of Egypt. Four, fourth point. The God of Joseph is not only the revealer, but he ordains it. If you look at verses 25 to 28, See, Pharaoh has recorded and shared with Joseph the two disturbing dreams which he'd had. And now Joseph responds in verses 25 to 28. Joseph interprets and explains the dreams to Pharaoh. But as he does so, he makes it clear that God is not only the revealer of the dream, he is the one who ordains the future. His God not only knows what is going to happen, but he knows what is going to happen because he has ordained what is going to happen. And we see the God of Egypt getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And the God of Joseph is revealed in his sovereignty and exaltation. How we need that today, my friends. We need to trust in the God who holds the future because he ordained it. He not only knows the future, he has the power to reveal it to his servant, but he holds the future because he has ordained the future. And look at verses 25 to 28 where Joseph stresses this. First of all, after hearing the dreams, Joseph immediately says in verse 25, the dreams of Pharaoh one. They refer to the same thing. The dreams are repeated for a specific reason, and he tells us why, but they refer to the same set of events. And then he immediately says at the end of verse 25 that God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. So even Egypt is in the hand of God of Joseph. Unless Pharaoh missed the point, preacher Joseph is going to say it at least one more time. There's a nice little precedent there. You can repeat points quite often. Then you look, look at verse 28. As it was, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. So Joseph prepares Pharaoh 
to understand that it is God's providence that rules the world. Now it's interesting that Joseph had had every bad turn of providence that he could have possibly experienced in the last several years. And now he has the opportunity to teach Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, about the providence of God. And he's going to give him a lesson in the truth that God does not only know the future, he controls the future, and he does so without turning from the right to the left. Oh, my friend, what a joy to know the God who holds the future. Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Know God who holds the future. Joseph reveals God as the ordainer of the future. And fifthly, God and his prophet come to the rescue of Egypt's God. And we finally see in verses 29 to the end of the section, God and his prophet, through discernment and wisdom, come into the rescue of Egypt's God. Pharaoh, the God, humbled before the vision has now been given advice by the imprisoned Hebrew slave. And we see, we're not meant to only see Joseph's wisdom and discernment, but above all, we're meant to see God's sovereignty. The key verses are verses 32 and 33. The Dublin of Pharaoh's dreams mean that the thing is fixed by God. God will shortly bring it about. That's why the Dublin. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. There'll be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Therefore, we need to get to work. I want to just pause, would you pause and think about that with me for a moment? We see here the conjunction between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Because this is what God is going to do. But this is what you need to do in response. Which is a pattern that holds throughout the Old Testament. God's revelation does not lead us to say, if you're going to do it, then I will sit back and watch while you do it. God's revelation everywhere in Scripture always requires a response. If God reveals he is going to bring judgment, what is our response meant to be? Repentance. If he brings a revelation of warning, like this one, what is our response to be? Responsible activity in line with what he has revealed. So Joseph has a plan. He was a strategist. He had a strategy. He had a plan for the king of Egypt to follow. And the king of Egypt, if he's going to get anything done about this situation, had better appoint people who will carry out a plan for their years of plenty so that they will be ready for the years of lean. And I think Joseph, I really believe Joseph is totally unselfconscious. When he says, you need to find a man of wisdom and discernment. If you think about it again, one of the things that we said about Joseph was that he was the same man in prison as he was in the court of Pharaoh. I don't think Joseph is angling for the job. I don't think it even crossed his mind. He's oblivious to the facts because right now he's immediately sprung into his instinctive Hebrew response to the revelation of God, which is, God has shown us what to do. God has shown us what he is going to do, which requires a response. And this is what you need to do, this, 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 this. 
and immediately we've seen those talents that God gave Joseph display. But it doesn't occur to him for a moment that he is the one. But he is appointed for that purpose. But the major message we learn here is that God's revelation always and always requires a response. Let me give you one example of that, Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18, the prophet explains somewhat of the relationship between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And this, by the way, the passage from which Paul draws Romans 9 to 11. Jeremiah 18, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now this is a statement of God's sovereignty. Israel, you are like the clay in the potter's hand to me. I can do as I please. I am sovereign. Does that leave Israel in the position of doing nothing to the response, in response to that revelation? Look at what Jeremiah then says in verse 7. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom, then I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intend to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom, then I will build and plant it. And it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, and I will relent of the good that I have intended to do to it. Jeremiah sets down this principle of responding to the revelation of God through his prophets. When he promises blessing, if we take that occasion of the promise of blessing to turn our backs on him, to disobey him, to disregard him, and not to be thankful for the things that he has promised, then he promises that there will be judgment. But if he comes to us and gives a word of judgment, and when our response is repentance, he says, this is the principle on which I operate. You repent, I forgive. So the response of, to God's sovereign revelation is always to take the appropriate activity. If he promises us blessing, we should always be thankful. We should always give him the glory. If he gives us warning and judgment, then we must repent. You see, God is sovereign, man is responsible, both are true. They're not half and half, they're fully both true. So Jeremiah sets out for us a principle we see in Genesis 41. When God reveals himself, Joseph kicks into responsible activity based on God's sovereign re revelation. And Joseph begins to move out of the stage of humiliation that took him down and begins to move up the hill of exaltation. And it began with prophecy. And it began with him at his lowest point, speaking to the greatest leader in Egypt. The first will be last, and the last will be first. May God have the glory for his name's sake. Amen.